Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Tech and e-commerce podcast. I am your host, Andre Palamario, and I am the APEC Director for Elkut Global Executive Search. Our mission is to connect the tech in supply chain and e-commerce ecosystem in Asia and globally by bringing forward some of the most interesting stories about success and failure from leaders in the industry. It is great to have with us today Adam Compain. Adam is the founder and CEO of Clear Metal. Prior to Clear Metal, Adam spent five years at Google launching their geocommerce technology and 19 years as executive director of SEND, the non-profit he founded. Adam holds five technology patents, two degrees from the University of Michigan and an MBA from Stanford. Clear Metal is based in San Francisco and is a leader in the continuous delivery experience, enabling supply chain organizations to optimize logistics and provide their customers with easy access to trusted live information about their shipments. And a customer experience that is a differentiator and a revenue accelerant. The team of Clear Metal is 50 people plus and they have clients globally all over the world from Hong Kong to LA to Uruguay and to Zug. And um, a few of the um, clients that we can mention are Fortune 500 clients like Koch Industries, uh, British American Tobacco, McDonald's, Global Ocean Freight Council and many others. And just to give you a perspective on their growth, they are at a 400% year-on-year growth last year. Hi, Adam. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Andre. Nice to be here. And as we were talking just before this, it would be great to to set the scene. I'm sure uh, quite a few people know about Clear Metal now and, and about yourself, but it would be great to know from the speaker, if you could introduce yourself shortly and maybe cover some of the main milestones of your career, and then what is the most exciting part of of being the CEO of Clear Method? Sure, happy to. So Adam Campaign, one of the founders and CEO of Clear Metal. My background is in technology. Largely, I've spent time professionally at Google, both on the East Coast of the United States, over in Singapore, where you are, and then out in the California headquarters. And I transitioned through a variety of roles from advertising and and the media platform they have through mobile technology as mobile and smartphones were, were proliferating around the world. And then finally, new product incubation related to geo commerce, which was quite interesting at the time. After a little over five years there, I actually went back to school. I went to Stanford to get my MBA. And it was during that time that pure interest and curiosity brought me over to Hong Kong, where by choice, I decided to spend some time in the logistics industry working at OOCL, which was one of the major ocean carriers in the space. And this came again, as I said, from a long time fascination and curiosity of supply chain. And what I really started to understand there was of course, how big this this industry is as a backbone of the global economy, but I think moreover, how how important and how challenging the problems in supply chain were, particularly for the large corporates, big shippers, and how they both physically move their product and materials around the world, but also how they gain the experience and information from their suppliers and out to their customers. And that was really kind of a striking realization, seeing that firsthand under the tutelage of the executive team at OOCL and from the vantage point of, of the carriers in the industry, what challenges really plague shippers. And so that kind of you know leads from my career path into the founding of Clear Metal, which I know we'll talk more about. 
Mm. It's great. And um, it's quite fascinating to, um, I mean, you've been in Singapore working with, with uh, Google, then in California, and then you set up to go to Hong Kong. How, how did you make this decision? What, what triggered you? Well, I think what it really was is, you know, I, I saw from the first step in my career how powerful technology and cloud-based technology, you know, can be for enterprise, right? Working in various realms of Google and seeing how some of the biggest companies in the world would leverage these kind of systems, especially when industries were undergoing massive transformational shifts like the world did in, you know, call it 2006, 7, 8, as smartphones came about. And large corporations started to ask themselves the question of how do I make use of this new kind of technology and this new form factor? How will it change the way my customers buy and perceive me? How will it change the way customers interact with my brand and my products? And so I think that was an early lesson that really, you know, was very interesting and, and powerful to see. I think what I had paired with that was just kind of a innate curiosity about how big industrial things move and operate. And so that's really that curiosity and, and technology backing or background, I should say, you know, is what drove me over to Hong Kong. You know, I had the opportunity, fortunately, to be invited there by the CEO of OOCL. And that's a fantastic company. They were very generous in showing me the different ways in which container shipping as an industry works. And so, yeah, that, that's really what prompted it. It was, it was curiosity with how do companies in this space, supply chain and logistics, use technology to solve some of the, their biggest problems? Or as I you know, quickly found out, you know, maybe don't yet use the latest and greatest technology to solve big industrial problems. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> and Adam, coming back to what's happening now in, in, in the world, I wanted to ask you about the trends that you see, because I imagine you work with uh, clients all over the globe. You've seen the situation uh, from Asia to, to the US and I'm sure Europe and other, other regions. What's your impression of the current trends, maybe short term and also long term? Because we are still dealing with uh, the crisis, uh, the pandemic, but slowly and surely people are getting used to it and adapting to it. I'm curious to, to get your take on it. Yeah, I, I believe there are really two key trends that have rippled through, through supply chain. I think the first is how e-commerce has created a, um, a, a level of expectations from customers that has gone from the consumer realm, a la Amazon and the Amazon effect of how we demand packages and parcels on our doorstep, you know, quick with high certainty and high transparency of how those things arrive. That kind of expectation as a customer has now become the expectation of the, of the business customer. And that's a, a trend that I think has exposed the fact that supply chains aren't actually set up to meet today's modern customer demands. And that has created a huge gap in expectations between how you know, companies believe they're delivering and delighting customers and actually how those customers are experiencing that, that brand. Qualtrics did a, a big study on this and I think they said, um, you know, uh, 80% of, of uh, companies believe they're delivering a superior experience when in fact only 8% of customers agree. And so I think mm -hmm. that is indicative of the trend going on. It's that there's a very high bar as a customer in the consumer and now the corporate 
context that demands pretty high delivery and experience from their from their um, from from the brands they, they need product or material from. And and that's yeah, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but that's really I think the biggest trend. And I think it, it actually mirrors what I saw when working at Google and speaking with companies about mobile technology. Very quickly, mobile went from an idea to, you know, of, of, oh, we have to get on board with mobile and we need to build a mobile website and should we build a mobile app? And, you know, maybe one day it'll change commerce to basically overnight companies saying, you know, I'm now behind and I am not, you know, delivering my content and my information to someone's pocket and their smartphone. That same thing's happened in supply chain, right? The expectations have risen and supply chains are unfortunately finding themselves in a new game and unable to keep up with those expectations. So that's trend one. I think trend two is, you know, this has sort of a long, been a long time one around big data. And we sort of like to say, it, it, there's not really a big data problem. There's a big data problem. And what we see worldwide is companies and teams and frontline operators and professionals spending an awful amount of time manually trying to cleanse and make sense of and play around with data. And this is a task that is pretty low leverage. It's a, a, you know, working with data is a task that a computer can do quite well, in fact, exceptionally better than, than a human. And this is the opportunity for the latest and greatest technology, whether it's machine learning or other things, to take care of that problem of unclean, unstructured, nonsensical data, clean it, structure it, and put it in a framework and a context that a professional in supply chain can then be very up-leveled to perform the kind of efforts that they should, which is high leverage, high power, intelligent, strategic decision-making. So that's the biggest trend where, where supply chain is, is very far behind most other industries. I think most executives know this, but it's rooted in the data. People are spending way too much time playing around with data when they should be up-leveled by having the right information in their hands at the right time. There's two very interesting things that you mentioned, Adam, uh, and one is the 80% to 8, so 80% of companies think they are delivering a superior experience and only 8 of the customers agree. That's, I didn't know that, but it sounds about right. And there is no big data problem, but a big data problem. That's, that's a good way to put it. How, now taking back to, going back to clear method, right? And I know that you are very focused on uh, customer experience. And I think there is a term that you're using CDX, continuous delivery experience. I'm wondering how is Clear Metal being different compared to the other players? And what is this CDX? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll start off with the CDX framework. So we didn't really in invent this. If you read Gartner's research about continuous intelligence, you look at the way Amazon operates. You know, what they're really providing is a what's called a continuous delivery experience. And I think Amazon is a great way to contextualize that. As a consumer of, of Amazon, as I'm sure everyone else is, two things are fantastic about them, right? First, they've figured out how to physically get your product from wherever it is in the world to your doorstep with pretty high efficiency and reliability. So on one hand, they deliver, physically deliver the product in a great way. And secondly, what they do is they give you, the consumer, a fantastic experience with regard to the transparency of information and the status of your order as that product is coming to you. Those are the two halves of what makes Amazon so powerful in the consumer mind. 
and underlying both that delivery credibility and the experience that they provide is of course data and a whole bunch of AI and machine learning type techniques to ensure the most efficient route of getting product to you and giving you the most up-to-date, transparent, real-time information. So that's kind of where we see supply chain going. It actually is going there. And that's where ClearMetal has centered itself in building software applications on both sides of that coin. First, we give software to large shippers, manufacturers, retailers, et cetera, that helps them first plan for how products should move internationally and globally, and also get visibility into how those products are moving. That's all the delivery side. At the same time, we provide these companies with the ability to both get a better experience from their suppliers and also give a better experience to their customers downstream. So that's really what we do in a nutshell and the kinds of software we build for the purpose of a delivery experience on a continuous basis, which means continuous live updating, clean, trusted information. So that's kind of how, how we sit. Does that make sense? And guiding yes. how you, okay. No, no, no. Uh, maybe it would help if we go into an example. I know I was doing a bit of homework. I know you had some case studies on the web, on the website, but we can talk of um, any case study you would like. And I, I imagine that there is a, a company out there that was struggling with, with some of these issues. And then you guys stepped in and at the end of the process, they saw those results. I'm wondering if it's any specific numbers or, or clear story that we could talk about. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll speak quite con concretely. So again, you know, Clear Metal's exclusive customers are large shippers, right? Retailers, manufacturers, and, and suppliers. Some of our customers include companies like Unilever, like Coke Industries, Georgia Pacific, uh, Lensing Fibers out of Austria, et cetera, McDonald's and, and some others. And as you can hear, you know, multiple continents, we have a global reach, many different verticals. We're quite agnostic to, to that. And I'll, I'll describe the ways these kind of companies use us and I'll use specific stats, although I may not tie them to a particular company I mentioned. So first and foremost, we are helping the procurement team, the raw material procurement teams at these companies get better visibility of raw material supply that's coming inbound into their manufacturing facilities. We do that by helping connect both that supplier to that manufacturer, and we're helping them, the company we serve, go from zero visibility of inbound supply to a pretty you know, strong sense of supply. I don't have any exact figures on that. That obviously allows them to produce and manufacture with more reliability. It allows them to reduce their inventory levels, which we've seen overall around you know, anywhere in particular cases up to 20% of taking some of that slack out of the system and also increase the adherence and compliance of their supplier network. So that's kind of part one. Where we most often play is within the supply chain and logistics team. So what we're doing is a couple things. We're putting a application set that has both planning functionality so they can answer questions like, what is the right lead time? that I need to plan around? What is the right mode of transportation I should use as I move my freight internationally? And what is the right carrier to select to ensure on-time delivery to my customers? In this realm, we've, we've done two things and I'll give you statistics. We've, there's a Georgia Pacific case study out there co-written about how we improved their personnel operational efficiency by about 30%. This is helping their teams up-level from spending time in the data to actually being more proactive rather than reactive. So by putting trusted information in their hands, 
they can not only gain visibility, but actually manage those exceptions, like a mistranshipment or seeing a particular lane that might have a high incidence of roll rate. They can actually avoid those or, or manage those exceptions better and spend more of their day problem solving proactively than trying to be reactive with issues around data. The other statistic I'll give you here is we've seen up to 50% improvements in on-time delivery. And that comes from the company's ability to pick the mode, pick the carrier, and pick the routing that has a much higher performance rate. And then work with that carrier or 3PL to ensure that that deliver, delivery is on time. The third and last piece I'll give you is around the customer experience side, which we've actually seen a ton of traction even amidst all of the core operational problems that companies have experienced through, through COVID. What we're talking about here is equipping our customers with a customer portal that enables them to give their end customers real-time trusted view at the click of a button of what, what is coming at them. And what we've heard these companies cite is actually in surveys with their customer base, an improvement in CSAT and NPS score and a reduction in customer service costs because this customer can now self-serve. Like you and I can go on you know, Amazon or Domino's and see you know, the pizza or the package on its way to us. So those are the kind of use cases, the first being procurement and getting inbound visibility from suppliers, the second being the core logistics planning and visibility functions, and the third being customer experience through a portal. And of course, there's ripple effects of buffer stock and reduction in uh, invoice to payment cycles and all that, but I don't want to be too long-winded here. No, but that's, that's great. And uh, when it comes to the on-delivery time statistics, that's some uh, great examples. And then, Adam, I was wondering, because when we implement and any kind of new system has that part of change management and implementation time, when it comes to clear metal, I know it varies a lot and it depends on the client and their current systems, but what are some of the main challenges in implementation that you've spotted and maybe how have you overcome them? Yeah, good good question. You know, I think the first thing that we're, we're proud of, I'd say, is we have truly built a lot of automation into, into our technology. So when we think about just a core visibility application, right, everyone's looking at these kind of solutions. The core IP and the, va- and, and the real value we provide is how we're able to clean and make sense of the data so well. We've uniquely, I think, I don't think there's anyone else in the world that can do what we do with the data with regard to global international freight. We've figured out how to, in an automated way, I mean truly automated, take in the pseudo standards and the different dialects of uh, global transportation and freight data and on the fly clean it and make sense of it and create context. And what I mean by context is, you know, taking a sales or purchase order and associating that properly with a transport event or a milestone. All this information or all this technology we build is very automated. And the reason that's so important is most implementation of supply chain software takes many months. And in our case, it takes you know, on the order of weeks because we're not having troves of people manually create custom and brittle maps that have if-then based rules. It really is the use of machine learning developed by some of the top AI experts out of Stanford, you know, the co-founders of the company. And that's really provided a lot of benefit to the customers we serve for two reasons. First and foremost, the product actually works and they trust it. But secondly, as you're alluding to, Andre, the implementation time is 
not only quick because of the automation and the standardization, but it's also lightweight. So over and over we hear companies say, well, hey, I don't have the IT resources to do this. And then they find out, I actually don't really need many because our processes with our global network, we can provide the data. We just need a one-time dump of the purchase order information. And then if you want our data back into your TMS or your ERP or a CRM, we have a set of APIs that we can help integrate pretty quickly. Again, weeks and maybe a few short months, but we're not talking multi, multi, multi-month and multi-year deployments. So that's, that's, I think, what we're proud of. There was a second part of your question, but remind me. No, I think that's the main idea. And I was wondering, because we have such a varied array of type of clients and they are using so many different type of systems, um, but you pretty much touch upon that and explain that it's all about the algorithm and, and the machine learning capacity and capabilities that you build in that can adapt from what I understand to different <laughs> to different circumstances. And you said the pseudoscience and what's happening in the industry, as long as you kind of map out most of the variables, then uh, I imagine the automation can happen in a more uh, easy way. So taking from a few months to a few weeks, it's, it's quite a, a big leap forward. Yeah, thanks. I, I think I, you know, you also mentioned something earlier that I thought was important around, you know, was it a differentiation or, or something like, oh, it was change management. Mm-hmm. Talked about yes. And what's been interesting is re- recently, we've actually been asked quite a bit to do consulting, <laughs> particularly mm. around the change management. They say, you know, we've tried these projects in the past. They haven't worked. You know, our global teams are actually using this stuff and they're actually getting better. They're actually unified on it. And it was the, ch- it was, besides the technology you brought us, it was the change management that you were able to affect that, that was pretty impressive. I say that because we're proud of it as a company, but also because I think it speaks to how technology needs to be used in this industry today. I think what makes us good at this is we listen very, very well to the customer problem. We know very intricately due to our focus as a company and due to our, our you know, tenure here, the intricate like workflow and dynamics of the problem. And I think because we understand that so well and build our products in such an agile and iterative way, that the products actually work for people and they trust them. I think that's so overlooked. And I think it's hard for larger companies to do because they have things that are you know, quite off the shelf. But what we've seen is when you, when you are able to take information and clean it into a, a form that people actually do trust, and there is a period of time where they double check it with their old methods, but once they do trust it, it's, it's quite addictive to them if you provide it, you know, a trusted source of information as a single source of truth. And then the second thing we found is that structuring it in a user interface that makes sense and fits in with their workflow instead of being yet another set of tasks they have to do has been really, really powerful. I mean, it's a very simple concept, by, but by building software that is what people want to use, we found that it's not so challenging and absolutely doesn't take a heavy hand to get them to use it. I mean, right, they're asking for tools that allow them to do better, more interesting, more strategic things and if you just, you know, follow that path and, and I'm speaking in generalities now, but solve their problems, the change management, you know. Yeah, uh, the process happens, yeah, yeah, naturally. And it's interesting because this is where it comes in, the, the customer focus that you have and you were mentioning. If you're listening and you're observing, then it's much easier to create an experience that actually makes sense for the client or the customer 
and then uh, you don't need to push on hard on making sure they change their behavior to to implement that new technology or to work with it yeah and that's that's an interesting perspective i think it's it's quite straightforward but in the same time not a lot of people follow it because it requires energy and time so yep. Yeah. For, for your audiences, you know, we often find there, there is often a big disconnect between the, what the executives want in our solution and what the frontline professionals want. And we've always taken the approach of building for that frontline user first, and then thereafter rolling that information up to an executive level of what they want to see, you know, through a dashboard or something like this. So that's also been the, I think, the way and the way I would encourage a lot of the executives that might be listening to approach these problems, right? because we've seen other companies try this kind of stuff and fail because they've built, you know, just the map or just the dashboard and the blue blinking dots, you know, moving across the world. And then when they try to put that in the, in the hands of their frontline team, it's, it's rejected because it's actually not helping them do their job better. And I think building it in the reverse order has done wonders for us. Mm, that's another good point. And like you said, different uh, stakeholders have very different requirements or interests. Yeah. And you really need to follow them in an order to make sense. Now, Adam, going to the future or going to the next steps for Clear Metal, what are some of the exciting next milestones that you see in the, in the development of the company? I know, I imagine there's a lot of work around making the funding work. I know already you're, you're in, a good, in a good point there. What are some expansion plans? Maybe you can talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, sure, sure. So, you know, where we... I think we're different in a lot of companies. We started very, very, very deep in the innards of the data and very, very focused on just the core global visibility problem for the logistics teams. And I think what that allowed us to do is then sort of earn the right with our trusted product and trust information to expand from there. So as we look forward, a lot of our investment is going toward highly you know, dynamic and advanced planning capabilities that allow companies to start to plan for freight movements and delivery to customers on a more dynamic basis. That's a big area of investment. I think the second big area, like the trend I talked about, is uh, further investment in customer experience. We've noticed fantastic kind of pickup of interest in our customer portal from sales teams. And we're seeing some of the most commoditized industries and you know what you would imagine to be least progressive start to actually get a very revenue driving focus and a progressive mindset around customer experience, which in commodity environments may not boost you know, revenue from the traditional sense, but it does actually accrete as protected share and protected margin of contracts. I think what's also interesting that we, we speak with executives a lot about is you know, in most of these industries, sales are a zero sum game. You know, and, and most of the differentiation that's coming today in commoditized environments is through technology. And so there are absolute advantages to the companies that take, you know, that step forward first and take advantage of this because when they steal share, they're stealing share from someone. And that's why there's so much benefit to being progressive in the sales realm in supply chain. So that's the second area. And then the third is, you know, again, I think off of the back of, a trusted single source globally of where products are in transit, we sort of earn the right to now invest further in connecting suppliers into their customers. And so that's a big area of investment for us that is really doubling down on that experience side of the continuous delivery experience. 
And when you're thinking about this part of connecting suppliers and, and the customers, it's the double-sided coin that you were mentioning. One is the apps that you're building on the supplier side and uh, the others on their customer side and making sure you have a good integration on, on both of these sides, I imagine. And is it a game where you're thinking, okay, now we have to expand to different regions or is it more, okay, now we go on different industries? How, how do you think about this? Yeah, we, you know, I think because of where we started as a company on, on global and international ocean freight, every customer is using us on a global basis. So re, the regional, region by region strategy isn't as applicable to us. I think what we are doing though is really, really trying to help within unified value chain, right? I mean, supply chain is literally a, a chain. And what we found a lot of success in is, you know, helping folks within a, a single industry you know, connect to one another and make sure that they are being good partners, being good, you know, customers and being good suppliers of the next one in the chain. Mm -hmm. Got it. Adam, I wanted to go to a different section of our discussion and talk more about teams and leadership. And um, I know that culture is on the top of mind of, of CEOs, and I'm sure it is on, on your mind a lot. So I wanted to ask, how do you define a good company culture? And what are you most proud of when it comes to the culture of clear matter? Sure. You know, I think I've been, I've been fortunate to be, to professionally be involved with, I think some pretty strong cultures that I've tried my best to, to emulate and emulate naturally. I think if you look at the Google culture, it is built on you know, meritocracy. It's built on transparency and it's built a lot around kind of what higher level vision and goal are we all marching toward? I was amazed, you know, listening to Eric Schmidt at the time. He was the CEO. One of his VC funds is actually now an investor in our company, Clear Metal. But the amazing part of hearing him as a leader is how open and transparent he is with even the frontline junior ranks, you know, down to the 21-year-old out of college with where the company is going and how what they're trying to do fits in with that. So I think that level of transparency is, was hugely informative for me. And in big contrast to other companies that work just as well, think of Apple, but have a much different relationship with access to information and transparency. Apple is sort of the opposite culturally in that regard as Google, if, if you don't know. So I think that was kind of, you know, one thing. And, and I think Stanford also mimicked that kind of mental model of kind of open innovation, iterative, flexible, humble, you know, transparency. So I think those were really good guiding lights. I think what we're most proud of is just a fewfold. First, our say to do ratio is extremely high. We're very almost conservative as a company on what we promise because we guarantee to our customers that everything we promise we deliver and we deliver well. So that's first, we're very proud of it. I think secondly is the humility. And I think that ties in with the listening aspect and empathy I talked about where we are, you know, we've become supply chain expert, experts, but we started off much more as technology experts. And I think we were smart enough to know that we didn't know the problems and curiosity drove us to really understand and really get a sense of what people are dealing with and what their pain is on the front line of supply chain. So I think that has been a second thing that we're very proud of, that kind of hu humility and empathy. And then the third, I think, is we're pretty well aligned as a culture for solving true business problems. And I'm afraid that if you look at supply chain software as an industry today, there's so much noise and there's so much over prom there's so many over promises and 
there are so many softwares out there that you know solve don't really solve the problem, but topically look like they will. And I think that that's a big disservice to an industry that's changing this much right now, and and a disservice to an industry that's so important in the world right now. But I would I would focus on those three things. And I think the last one with the noise, right? That's how the importance comes to the say to to do ratio for you. Because we talk with a lot of clients and they do mention that they, they start losing trust, especially when, when they see so many different types of solution providers. And then so that, that ratio of say to do is, is quite low. So it's refreshing to see you focusing a lot on that. Now, I'm sure it is connected to the first question, but because our business is connected to recruitment and um, I was wondering, how do you interview when it comes to your leadership team? And then I know, uh, I was reading in the news that you have to recruit and interview and bring in team in the team a lot of people who maybe have much more experience in the domain than, than the core team. How do you go about it? And, and what's your philosophy on that? Yeah, you know, I think we, so this executive team and also otherwise, we're typically looking for people whose profile mirrors the kinds of companies we ideally want to work with. And that profile is a strong mix of understanding of how technology can be applied to solve real business problems. And at the same time, understanding the nuances and the dynamics of the industry we're in. I think it's as simple as that. Our best customers, I think, mirror the same thing. They know the industry extremely well. They admit that they are not technologists but I think they're smart enough and humble enough to realize they need to partner with a technology company like Clear Metal. So that's the same kind of profile we look for. It's that humility, it's that understanding of both sides, but having a spike or an expertise in one. Yeah, I think that's kind of how we think about it at the highest level. Mm -hmm. and, yes, the other thing is we, we prioritize, I think the person's orientation much more than experience. So, are they creative? Are they flexible? Are they intelligent? And can they adapt more than has the resume showed, you know, 15 years of exactly this role? I think we've seen in, yeah, in our, you know, short tenure as a company, um, those who've risen very fast through our ranks and gotten onto the executive team, you know, may not have come from that role or that exact background, but kind of have what it takes and that it factor to get there. Got it. Um, as we are getting closer to, to the last few questions, and um, I wanted to ask you a bit of a more general one, but uh, um, it, it, I'm curious about it. So there are two things, and I know that the life of an entrepreneur is definitely uh, not easy, and it's like a roller coaster. And these questions address that. So if you would think, what keeps you up at night when thinking about what's next for Clear Metal? This is the first one. And the second one, what gets you going in the morning? Maybe they're connected in a way, but I'm, I'm curious how, what's your perspective on both? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think they are connected. I, I'd say what keeps me up at night when we, yeah, when we're building our business is whether we're striking the right balance of depth versus breadth. I think what's true, especially in supply chain, is there are so many problems to solve. And technology and our, and our capability can solve so many of them, but prioritization, ruthless prioritization and focus is just so important. And so it keeps me up at night is making sure that we focus more and more and we prioritize more and more 
but at the very same time, you know, balance that with the opportunity that's out there. I think what gets me going in the morning is, yeah, probably the same thing. The fact that there really is so much to solve and we can't go and solve, you know, the next level of problems until we solve the ones today. So that's a big, you know, that, that definitely acts as fuel. We're, we're in a, as focused as we are and as patient as we are, we're in a rush to make sure we can deliver more value to customers quicker. It's, it's great sharing. And the last thing I wanted to ask, because as I mentioned, we do have quite a varied audience from already senior executives to maybe people early in their career. And some, both of these categories might think that becoming or starting their own business or joining a business is the best next step for them. Now, I wanted to ask, what is your advice or what would be a best piece of advice for a successful career? Maybe you can connect it to being successful as an entrepreneur. Uh, sure. I, you know, I would, the advice I often give to aspiring entrepreneurs is, is that yes, it is, it is a challenging job. And I think I would only suggest they start a company if they can't not start a company. That's my one word of advice. I think the other thing, you know, maybe less cheeky is, you know, I think a lot, a lot of people feel like starting a company may be the only way they can, you know, hit a goal of affecting change or solving a problem. I think there are plenty of other roles and contexts that you can, you can solve some pretty big business problems in the context of a larger company. And I think what, what some of those people might be overlooking is you know, there's so much work to setting up the operations and the culture and the funding and the growth and all these things. And really what they want to actually do is, you know, solve a problem that a current company is addressing. So you don't always have to pick the entrepreneurial route, that, but that's, that's the advice I'd lend. Mm. <laughs> like, like we talked, it's definitely, I can only imagine it's a, it's a lot of ups and downs. And then, yeah, it depends a lot on what's the fire within. If the fire is to solve something, maybe right. uh, find the best way to do that. And some, yeah. some, sometimes the best way could be different than starting the business. Adam, thank you very much for the sharing. I really appreciate it. And it was very honest and from the heart. And I wish uh, Clear Metal and the team all the best. I'm sure there's a lot of good news coming down the line. And already I'm seeing it in the news in our circles. So, yeah, good luck and congratulations. Oh, thanks, Andre. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For all the show notes and information discussed in the episode, please follow elkatglobal.com slash podcast. Also, if you found this interesting, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher or one of the podcast platforms. We are looking forward to your feedback.